0: 7 Responding, 1039.
1: This is Over the Horizon and Far Away. Hello, everybody. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We are so excited to start this podcast journey. And we are so grateful to everyone for their help and their support. And we do have some special shout outs at the end. So be sure to stick around for those.
0: You guys, we've been working really, really hard for a really long time to make this podcast a reality. We hope that you guys will enjoy it. Welcome to Over the Horizon and Far Away, where we discuss cases of the missing and murdered whose stories didn't get the media attention that they deserved.
1: I'm Julia. And I'm Danielle. And today we are sharing the story of Decimius Strong. Now, I do want to start off with a quick trigger warning. So this episode does contain discussion of mental illness. So viewer discretion is advised to anybody sensitive to those topics. Um, you know, guys, just take a break if you need to. You know, be sure that you're taking care of yourself first. Um before anything, you guys can always come back and listen to us if you need to. Now, first, I just want to start off by sharing a little bit about Desimius. So he does have a nickname. He does go by the nickname D. And according to his Facebook, he is from Indianola, Mississippi, where he was raised by his father, Lamora Strong, from age three on. He excelled in school. He attended private school from first grade through high school. He went on to complete a mathematics degree at Mississippi Valley State College and then went on to pursue a master's degree in bioinformatics, which I'm going to be honest with you guys I have no idea what that is or what you would use that degree for, but it sounds like you have to be incredibly smart to do it. I was just thinking it sounds like he's incredibly driven and
0: intelligent man, especially considering his degree is in math like that is outstanding. I can't do math to save my life. You're definitely the math person in this friendship so yeah the fact that he did that is incredible
1: yes I was always that like kid that was super good in in math in school but this seems like it is still way above anything I could do (laughs) now unfortunately he would actually not have the opportunity to complete that master's degree so I did have the opportunity to speak with both Dee's father Lamoris and his stepmother Latoya Strong And they described him as this happy-go-lucky person with a kind heart. Now, when I stumbled upon this case, I knew right away I wanted to cover it. As we get into the case, I think you guys will see, like, it's just, I don't know the right word for it. The whole thing seems very, I don't necessarily want to say shady. I don't know if that's the best descriptor for it, but definitely something's weird, something's off about the case. Like, there's something missing here for sure. (laughs) And a little part of me thinks that, like, perhaps there is the possibility that D is still out there and he's alive and well, but he may just be lost and confused. Now, that is why I wanted um, I felt like it was so important to get his story out to everybody, because if he is, in fact, still out there somewhere, it's going to take and everybody in the community to be looking out for him so that we can get him home safely to his family, because they've truly been missing him so much. I think at the heart
0: of a lot of these cases, like that's what really drives how sad they are. It's not just the person that went missing or was murdered. It's the fact that they have a family who's still there wondering what happened and where they are. That brings a lot of humanity to the
1: cases. Oh, absolutely. Now, if something more sinister did happen to him, I absolutely believe that somebody knows something. And I hope that this could be, they hear this podcast and that's what prompts them to say, I know what happened and I need to go tell somebody now. Now is the time. Now, this story does take place in his hometown of Indianola. Indianola is a small town that sits between Greenville and Greenwood, Mississippi. It only has a population of about 9,400 people as of 2022. And of that, 80% of them are African-American, which I thought was a really interesting t- statistics statistic because we don't often see that they're the majority.
0: Any towns that are predominantly African-American, I love to read and learn about them because you're 100% guaranteed to learn some really, really fascinating history. People that like aren't covered in schools and that you won't typically hear about. If you research those towns that are predominantly African-American, you're guaranteed to find something fascinating. Oh, interesting.
1: Now, I do want to let everyone know that initially, like this case started out with just what I was able to like find from news sources. However, like I said before, I was able to make contact with these parents, LaToya and Lamora Strong, and I cannot say enough good things about them. They are truly amazing people. I was able to get a ton more information from them, and that was truly very valuable to this story. Now, D's story actually starts before he disappeared. He disappeared on Saturday, January twenty second of twenty twenty two. Now, as I mentioned before, D he's this incredibly smart man. He was working towards his master's degree. However as it was noted on the GoFundMe page, and I was able to kind of follow up and get some additional information from his parents, Dee did struggle with some mental health issues. And this is what led to Dee actually withdrawing from school, so that he could just focus on getting the help that he needed with the support of his family. So when I followed up with the family, um, kind of regarding the mental health aspect of this, and kind of Circumstances and everything that was going on at the time, um, they provided some really valuable information. So I was told that D is a recreational marijuana user, despite his parents' disapproval. Now I kept to kind of like giggle to myself because like when I think about my conversation with his parents, like I recall Latoya just being like very adamant that she did not approve of his marijuana use, and like she was just like such this like mama bear in that moment. It was just like, it just, it warmed my heart truly. Cause you could see in that, that like, she truly loves this man so much. Um, even though she's a step-parent, this is absolutely her son. And she wants, I mean, just the world for him. So.
0: That is really, really precious. I love that. I really love that.
1: Now his parents believe that he actually ended up using some laced marijuana which is kind of what prompted these mental health issues to kind of come to light. Now, what is really scary about this is that sadly, this is like really, truly a possibility. Like we hear about stuff being laced all the time and like people dying as a result and like things being cut with other things. And it's just, it's very scary That is scary because you go in expecting to do something and understand
0: the effects of it. Like maybe you've done it before, like marijuana, you expect it to relax you or put you in this positive mood. And then all of a sudden you realize something's wrong. You're out of control. You don't have like control over all of your functions and you don't know what's going on. That is terrifying.
1: Yeah, I think we I feel like I've heard a lot now that fentanyl has really become like this more prevalent um, drug kind of in you know in our world right now and i feel like we're hearing a ton of stories of people that are believing they're using one thing and it ends up being laced with fentanyl and they od and die and it's just so scary you guys we cannot stress enough just don't use drugs and if you do use marijuana that's fine but just make sure you're getting it from like a reputable resource like i think for quite a few states now have it legal to some extent and so I mean, gosh, I would much prefer you get marijuana from the store down the road than Linda Lou Who on the corner that has no idea where it came from.
0: Exactly. And there's drug testing kits you can buy on Amazon. So if you do choose to use drugs recreationally, there are drug testing kits that can be used fairly cheap that can absolutely save your life and give you more confidence in what you're using.
1: Now he was receiving some mental health services and had been on this monthly shot. Um, However, he did not get that shot for about two to three months prior to his disappearance. I wonder what may have caused
0: him to have those lapses in medication. Scary to consider what may have been going through his mind with such a long break in treatment.
1: Yeah. I thought about that too. And I think I just thought about it afterwards and didn't even think really to follow back up. Um, with Latoya and Lamoris, but I mean, there's just so many possibilities in that scenario. Like we know that a lot of people tend to like feel better on their medicine and then they're like, oh, we don't need it anymore. And so that they stop taking it. Um, just coming from, you know, rural Montana, we know firsthand, like resources are so limited. Um, so we run into like, just not having the resource available. I know a lot of our resources are like these crazy long wait lists. Um, you know, if you're a state Medicaid person, like you have just reduced what resources are available to you significantly. Um, and so there's just like a lot of different things that could be playing into that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, Latoya described D's behavior as erratic leading up to his disappearance. So on January 22nd, the day that the simmius disappeared, he actually woke up in the early morning. He disarmed his family's security system at about 7.05 and he left the home. Latoya mentioned that she was still up around 2 a.m. and could hear that Decimus was still awake. Lamoris noted that Decimus typically sleeps in and he usually has to wake him up. So it was like odd to him that he was leaving at 7. His family noticed that he was gone later in the morning around 30, 10 a.m. Lamoris had actually yelled up to Dee to wake him up, and when he heard nothing, he went up to his room, only to find that Dee wasn't there. Lamoris then reached out to family members in an effort to locate his son. Latoya mentioned that she had actually called Dee's cousin, Kavion Young, um, as this is actually where Dee would often hang out, and that's who he actually used that marijuana with. Now, Latoya was actually told by the man that answered the phone that she had the wrong number. And she actually like thought that this was D was absolutely there. This was KV on like they were just messing with her um, tell, because they knew that, you know, Latoya and Lamoris did not approve of the marijuana use. So she kind of rolled with this assumption that he might be over there or that he was over there, but that he might maybe be using marijuana and they're kind of trying to hide it. So let's just pretend it's the wrong number. Now, shortly after Dee left his home on Saturday morning, there was a call placed to the local sheriff's office. Some duck hunters reported that they saw a naked male in the area. It is believed that this was Dee. Now, keep this in the back of your mind because we are going to talk more about it. So the weekend came to an end and Lamora still had not seen or heard from his son and his worry grew. He subsequently contacts law enforcement and they were actually able to determine that Dee was not at his cousin's home. So, Lamoris filed a missing persons report. Were we a- able to find any more information from the cousin on this? I was not, unfortunately. Now, a silver alert was issued for Dee. Um, and if you're wondering, like, maybe we now know that we have, like, some UK listeners and things like that, which is amazing. Um, but um, if you don't know what a silver alert is, it is actually activated when an elderly or a developmentally or cognitively impaired person has gone missing and is determined to be at risk. So given that Dee was in the midst of a struggle with his mental health, this definitely seems like a very appropriate step for law enforcement to take.
0: I'm really glad that they did take this step because it seems like something that should be used more often in missing persons cases that could end up saving someone's life.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. We I think we see that a lot in cases too, where if we could have just got the word out a little bit quicker, you know, we later learned we could have saved somebody or we could have found them or whatever, you know, those, those first 48 are truly so important, like they made a whole show about it. So the sooner that people are reporting and getting word out about a missing loved one, like just the better it is.
0: Yeah, we've definitely had cases where, like, uh, someone that knows the victim will see them and not even know that they were actually missing. And by then, by the time they figure out that person is missing, it's too late. They're gone.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, this silver alert initiated a search of the area for 4- 4D, but by January 29th, it was called off. He wasn't located, and law enforcement and the family were left with no information that could lead to finding him. Now, I did actually contact the Sunflower County Sheriff's Office and was able to speak with one of the two detectives assigned to this case. At the time I spoke with him, he was not at the office and did not have the file handy. Um, however, he appeared to maybe have like a decent memory of the case um, and was able to like quickly answer questions that I had. Um, now, he recalled that the last day AD was seen was either on a Friday or a Saturday. And that it was, in fact, his father and his uncle that had filed that missing persons report three days later. Now, interviews were conducted with the family to gather information. And by the next day, they had utilized their search and rescue team, including dogs, to search the wooded area it was believed that Dee was last seen. Now, this search continued for weeks, but then was, you know, unfortunately called off. And I was able to speak with the detective assigned to this case about the sighting of this naked man that we had previously mentioned. So the Duck Hunters did initially call 911 to report that a naked man had shown up on the bank. And per the detective, they were attempting to get him clothing. And he just ran off. And they weren't able to locate him after that. However, per his parents, there was actually like a second call that came into the sheriff's department which we're going to touch more on but his parents actually mentioned that d had asked these duck hunters for a pair of trousers that he could use Um, and they were told after asking he just ran off Um, now lamores did note that the area he was spotted in was flat and he had a hard time believing that like these hunters would not have been able to see him running Now, the other interesting thing about this, too, is his parents were like trousers, like he doesn't refer to pants as trousers, like that's a weird term to use. And so I think that without having follow up about what the exact verbiage was that the Duck Hunters, you know, heard from this man that they saw that we believe is D, I think you could see that either way. If he's truly using the word trousers like that could speak to our mental health is definitely not okay at this point. Um, however, these men, that could just be what they refer to as pants. So Dee could have absolutely, you know, walked up and said, hey, do you guys have any pants? Do you guys have any jeans that I could borrow? And that's just how they reported it back to law enforcement.
0: I wonder if the use of the word trousers might actually point to where his mental state was if he was confused and using strange verbiage, like desperate and afraid and cold. I think, yeah, it definitely could point to where his mental state was if that's what he said.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that is a question that I had, and we're going to circle back around um, to some of these questions that popped up that I had after I talked to the parents. <clears throat> now, a deputy was dispatched to the location, but he was not able to locate the man. Um, it is important to note that at this time, the family did not yet realize that D was missing, So nobody knew just how important this sighting would turn out to be. Latoya and Lamoris actually told me that there were two, two calls made into the sheriff's department by the same duck hunters, which I know I previously mentioned, but this is going to prompt more questions for me, you guys. Now, one was made via 911 and was recorded, and they were actually able to provide me with that recording. The second was actually a call made into the non-emergency number, and that one was not recorded. Now, before we do go any further, I do want to play that 911 call for everybody, and then I just want to hear Julia's initial thoughts, because this will actually be her first time hearing the call, and then I will share my thoughts um, about kind of what I heard, um, what I've been able to, you know, kind of. Think about since hearing the call initially and we're several months into this planning process um, and things like that and so I've literally pondered this call a lot you guys
2: like we were playing Yes ma'am, um, uh, out here on Pollock Road, uh-huh. I saw a naked man walking out through the field Okay. Yeah. Uh, are y'all yeah. missing something? What's, What's the name road of Pollock Road between Pollock and Highway Highway Forty Nine West. Okay. What's, What's that in that movie? P O L L A C K I think. P O L L A C O Pollock Road. Pollock Road, over behind the old Lewis Brothers, uh, uh, industrial park southeast of town.
1: You're not missing
2: anybody, are you? Sir. You aren't missing anybody, are you? No, sir, you never not Was he, he just walking? He was butt naked. Okay, I need to okay, go say. Let's go back to the first beginning. You, you said, said that all the old lewis Brothers building... Yeah, over behind there, between there and, uh, the ICG Railroad Track. I see Oh, uh, excuse me, okay. oh, uh, uh, C&G Railroad Track. C&G Railroad Track. Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, let, me, yes, there, let me... South let me of the railroad track and east of Highway 49. East, east of, of Highway 49? Exactly. East of Highway 49.
1: Hollack, yeah. H O
2: L L A C K, I think. Yeah, southeast of uh, um, the old Lewis. The old, the, the old Lewis. That's gonna be yeah, in south, really uh, the, south of uh, y'all. Uh, yeah, south, really, south of y'all, southeast of y'all's uh, little detention center. Detention center. What is that? We can not be solved It's going be uh, Yeah. Okay. okay. Hold on okay. for a minute. Let me This, is, I'm like, this, is like, um, this is problem here. Come on. They won't transport him. I'm okay, him to IPD. going to hang up. That's what I'm saying. Hold on, sir. Just yes. watch see.
1: Okay, you guys, now I know that audio may have been um, a little bit difficult to hear at times. Um, There really is not a lot we could have done about that. That's just kind of, I feel like how 9 audio recordings go sometimes. Um, Sometimes they're really great, other times not so much, Um, but that is kind of what we had. So um, Julia, your first time hearing it, let me know what you, what are your thoughts? I would say my very first thought is I agree with you, it's very hard to hear. And
0: then they have like these thick accents and that doesn't make it any easier. I mean, I think their accents are awesome, but it definitely didn't make it any easier to like understand what was being said. From what I could hear, um, I guess I'm a little frustrated because it seems like they kept having to repeat the information because like the maybe the 911 operator wasn't understanding or they were kind of like re-asking the same question in different ways. And to me, in my, my mind, I'm thinking, this is urgent, like, we need to move quickly. But I guess I just didn't feel like there was as much urgency on the side of the 911 operator. I mean, I've never done that job. Maybe I'm just not correctly interpreting, like, what they need to do and how much information and detail they need to get in that moment. But I was almost thinking, like, come on, hurry up, get some officers there so maybe they can help them.
1: Yeah, so I had a lot of similar thoughts for sure. I share in that frustration. Um, Now, I was actually a 911 dispatcher briefly in my younger days. Um, And so I am hoping that... their 911 operator system runs very similar to the one that I'm familiar with um, in that there's always this is a smaller town and I did it in a smaller town as well. But so typically there's always at least two people on at a time. We always try to have a third, um, but it's kind of one of those jobs where it's shift work and, you know, over time because you're always short staffed and all these things. So we kind of always ran on the short staff at things. So sometimes there's only two. But typically, if it's, like, truly an emergency, like, you'll have one person on the line taking the information and, like, putting it into the log on the computer and all these things. And then whoever is there with you, they're actually on the dispatch radio talking to whoever they need to talk to, law enforcement, fire department, ambulance, whatever. And they're actually getting people sent out. Um, And then we're just updating as we get the information. So, I hope, I hope, I hope that that is the case because I think that 911 call was, I think, like three minutes roughly. Um,
0: yeah, something like that.
1: Yeah. And so, like, that's a significant amount of time when you think about somebody that's in the middle of, or that's potentially in the middle of a mental health crisis and is kind of running and frantic and whatnot. So, you know, I just, I, yeah, I hope that that's what happens. So the detectives actually told me that the duck hunters were from Tennessee, not Mississippi. And Lamoris also mentioned that he thought it was weird that somebody would know the non-emergency number and not use 911 if they were from a different state. And so like when I think about like initially I just knew they were from out of state, right? And I didn't even know that I I was going to have the opportunity to listen to this 911 call. So initially I didn't even have all the information that we do now have from that 911 call. They were listing names. They kept referencing this building that used to be something else. Um, And so that tells me that you're incredibly familiar with the area and you have been for a long time, right? Because otherwise, how would you know that so many years ago it was this building, you know? And so, yeah, I, I, I just feel like I could go either way on like the two different calls made into dispatch. So if the very first call that was made was to 911, which I do not know the order of when the calls came into dispatch, but operating under the assumption that perhaps the actual 911 call was the first one. um, And they have some familiar familiarity with the area, which as hunters, they very well may um, they probably go there and hunt on a pretty regular basis. Um, especially since both of them were from out of state. Like, I feel like if you're going to come from out of state, you're probably going to go with somebody, you know, from the local area. Um, I don't know. We, I do a little bit of hunting, but not a lot. and I don't typically go out of state to do it. I have a couple of times, but it's always been with other family members that live in that state. Um, so like I guess you could Google the non-emergency number. I mean, it, it should realistically pop right up. Like, I do not know the local emergency, non-emergency number for our area, but I have had to Google it in the past because my crazy neighbors, you guys. And so it does pop right up. Like, literally, I just put the police department non-emergency number, and it's like the first thing that shows up on Google. So, I mean, you could accomplish that realistically in just a matter of seconds. But where I would be, where my suspicion does raise is if we called the non emergency number first and then 911. So, like, it was very clearly something was wrong from the get go of this interaction, right? Like, it's not normal for somebody to be running through the woods, much less doing that without clothing. Um, and I'm going to guess that the verbal interaction that they had likely just would have raised my concern. So I don't know. It just it's hard to know because I don't. I have those questions about the nine one one and the non emergency calls. Um, and I can just think like if the nine one one call for came in first, like maybe they just had like some additional information to provide, so they're thinking like let's not clog up the emergency lines um, in case somebody you know else has another emergency, uh, something like that. I just I just wish I had more information about these calls for sure.
0: I wonder if they called 911 after, because like, in my mind, it didn't seem like there was a lot of urgency coming from the non-emergency person. So I wonder if maybe that could have been what happened. Like, maybe they felt like they weren't taking it seriously enough and then decided to call 911 or something changed and they decided to call 911.
1: Yeah, that is absolutely a fair point. Um, Again, I wish we had more information. I will tell you guys, I did try to get some, but we'll talk about that more later. Now, I did happen to check the weather history for this day and time that Dee left his home. So remember, it's January 22nd of 2022. He leaves his home at just after 7 a.m. It was actually only like 18 degrees there, you guys, which I actually did not know it could get that cold in Mississippi. I grew up in Texas. It never got that cold unless it was like some freak weather event. And so I was like a little blown away that it got that cold.
0: Is it odd to be out duck hunting in 18 degrees? I mean, I don't hunt in any form and never have. So I guess I wouldn't know. But it sounds absolutely like torture to be out in 18 degrees doing anything, especially hunting where you're out there for a
1: long time. Yeah. So the thing about hunting is the laws and like the seasons and things like that, they're going to vary from state to state. And so I don't know 100% I want to say like for Montana if I recall correctly and I have never duck hunted you guys so I could absolutely be wrong but if I remember correctly I want to say our duck hunting season is well I was going to say like the fall time but then that's when they start to migrate it might actually be springtime when they're first migrating back up here for the summer I do know it's going to be either spring or fall when it's definitely chillier for us um definitely not like in the middle of the summer when we have our nice like 80 degree days for sure um but it is also out on the water which we know is going to be cooler than on land um, and you're actually typically like in the water to some extent and so that feels really cold to like be in the water hunting ducks or God, in yes a boat it on does. the water like you're still at some point going to get wet and that just feels very cold to me <laughs> and I like the cold you guys now, I what,
0: absolutely don't.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Julia, God bless her heart. She learned that um, setting your apartment to, like, 80 degrees is a horrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> but that is a story for another day. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I actually wanted to look up the weather because of the report of the sighting of this naked man. So like we know that when people are suffering from hyperthermia, they actually start to feel like very warm, very hot. And many times people who die of hypothermia are typically found without their clothing on. Um, and I don't know the science behind that, you guys. I have no idea why that's a thing. Um, but that, it, that that's just what happens when you're too cold and you're on the verge of death. Your body's like, oh, nope, we're, we're just boiling and people take their clothes off. Now, interestingly enough, the clothing that Dee was wearing when he left his home was found on the family property. Now, Lamoris and Latoya noted that they had searched this area several times prior to the clothing being found. And they actually did feel like those searches were done thoroughly and that the clothing had not previously been there. Now, my impression of these searches based on the information that I have kind of gathered from multiple sources, is it did seem like this was a very methodical um, like grid search thing that we typically see where they're gonna look at a map, they're breaking down the areas, you know, everybody has their small little section. We're kind of sweeping that really good and then we're moving on to the next section. Um, and I kind of got the impression from Lamoris that it was like, we're gonna quickly search these areas we've already searched like yesterday, Before we start our grid area for today, like just as a second, you know, search of it. Um, And so I did think that that was very interesting, which like absolutely prompted me to be like, why did that detective not mention to me that like clothing was found? Because like that seems like a big deal to me. That seems like very crucial evidence. I want to know what happened to that clothing. So this is where we're going to talk about the questions that I had and that I did you guys attempt to follow up with this detective so I did um, end up calling him back and leaving some voicemails and um, I was just like you know this is who I am we spoke the other day like I just had a couple follow-up questions for you Um, you know please give me a call back and they did not return my calls which is really frustrating because like after I'd spoken with them like I had so many more questions I wanted to ask. I felt like there was so much more information I wanted to provide for you guys. And I was hoping to get my hands on like the police reports, the missing persons report, like any investigative reports, anything I could. And like, they just were dodging me. And I actually talked with Latoya about it a little bit um, because she also mentioned to me that they have refused to give them any kind of reports. And that's, I feel like not necessarily typical. So like me and Julia run into that a lot, like being part of the media. And then like what we are able to get, if we are able to get anything, we kind of run into where like a huge majority of it is like redacted um, or just like missing completely or whatever. But typically, like especially a family member can typically get at the very least like a copy of the missing persons report uh, maybe even some like initial investigative reports on like what they did. Um, I have one case that you guys are going to hear in a couple weeks where that police department sent me literally everything. Um, and it was like so much information to go through. And so it was very odd to me that the family could not get anything either. And so I kind of told Latoya, I was like, man, I, I kind of just feel like I caught them off guard. They weren't expecting somebody to call and have questions about this case, and I just happened to catch somebody. It was like the right time, you know. And then we just kind of got lucky because now they're like totally dodging me. So yeah, that was just very, very frustrating because, like, especially because if I found out nothing else, like, even if I wasn't able to get anything about the nine one one calls or anything, I want to know about that clothing. How did this get get missed prior in these searches? If you know, it was truly there the whole time. Have they submitted that clothing for any kind of forensic testing? Um, you know, if they have, what has come of that forensic testing? Like, has it given us anything? Like, I just, gosh, I feel like that clothing holds so much information. And I, I just hope that they have done something with it. Now, I did actually read in a WJTV News article um, that D was spotted at 2 a.m. on January 2nd. Um, And he was walking in the area of Bayou Drive in an unknown direction. Now this information is being cited as being from the Mississippi Bureau of Investigation. Um, When I actually inquired with Latoya and Lamoris about this, I did learn that like, this is actually the road that they reside on. And so like, initially this like seemed very confusing to me, Um, but they do feel like it was a false report. And like, after I got more information about it. I definitely am leaning that way as well. Um, I definitely think it was an inaccurate sighting. Um, I wonder like who spotted him or
0: that's interesting. Like, yeah, I wonder who that could have been that said that they spotted him and felt like it was a big enough thing to report.
1: Yeah, I agree. So that's, I mean, again, there's something I have more information about um, because it's like, well, when did they make that report before or after he went missing? And like, if you see him walking, how do you not know what direction he's walking in? Like, right. And so, I mean, you would have either driven past him and seen his face. So, you know, he's going the opposite direction or you drove past him seeing the back of his head. And so, you know, he's going in the same direction of you. Like it just, I don't know. I don't know. It just doesn't feel weird. Like a legit thing at all. Yeah, absolutely. Very weird. So Lamore's actually recalled that on this evening prior to the morning that he disappeared. It was about 1230 around midnight that he told D that he needs to go um, take a shower and get ready for bed. So this is likely what he was um, doing when Latoya still heard him moving around at 2 a.m. Now, because I am who I am, I did decide to look up Bayou Drive on Google Maps because like the other piece of this, too, is like. What did like the lighting situation look like? You have your headlights, which. We have lots of very dark roads in Montana and stuff that's not well lit. And so, like, sometimes if you have headlights, like, all you can see is, like, what's right in front of you and nothing else. And so I was curious to kind of understand that a little bit better. So what I discovered is that this is primarily a residential street that runs alongside a bayou. So hence the name. And then on one end of Bayou Street, it intersects with Front Street and this side actually kind of appears to be more of a commercialized area with very little housing it kind of gave off more of like this busy downtown business type vibe then as you head towards the other side of Bay- bayou drive it actually becomes like all residential housing now for some reason google maps also shows like the name of the road as main street in like certain areas, but I followed the same road. So I'm not really sure why it's like that on Google maps. Um, Maybe a listener from the area can shed some light on this. I don't know, but that would be great. Yeah. You guys let us know on the socials, but as I get past this residential area, like I ended up like in this long stretch of farmlands and then a few more houses kind of just like pop up here and there. Um, and then we come to Fence Road and that's ultimately where like Bayou Drive ends. So I did in fact just like start on one side and work my way down to the other and like noted street lights. <laughs> and so um, I saw um, like several in the commercial area like we would expect, right? Like it's businesses, they wanna be well lit. They don't want people like breaking in and stuff. So like that absolutely makes sense. And then as we move into the residential area, those become fewer and fewer. And then eventually there's just none. Like where we kind of cross into that farmland area, there is not a single streetlight. So I think depending on where exactly D may have been, I think that somebody would have a very difficult time, likely even seeing somebody walk on the side of the road, much less be able to identify him. Latoy did also confirm for me that there were no streetlights in their area and that they are primarily surrounded by farmland.
0: That makes me wonder like what sorts of wildlife may have been in the area.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I don't know a lot about like what kind of, you know, crazy wild animals that Mississippi has. Um, because like, I know here in Montana we have like bears, we have the wolves. Like we do have some, I mean, shoot, even our like elk will stomp the crap out of you. Um, (laughs) And so, yeah, I think that's definitely interesting. Because then also, like, I mentioned that this road lo- runs along a bayou. And so I did, like, have the thought, like, is it possible that D somehow ended up in the bayou? Like, whether by, like, some crazy freak accident or, like, God forbid, something more sinister. But the more I thought about it, I just think, I don't know... that's really a possibility because I do think that his body would have been discovered if that was the case.
0: Yeah or at least like if there was animals pieces of him some sort of trace of him it's also scary to me to think that he's out there in those frigid temperatures wandering around in all that open space with inadequate clothing and then his deteriorating mental state it's like just terrifying to think of what was going on in his mind and how his body may have been feeling.
1: Absolutely. Now, that detective that I did speak with um, initially, um, they did note that there had been a couple other sightings of D, and they did investigate those, but nothing ultimately ended up coming of them. Um, that detective did say that in their little small town, like, they only have a few missing persons reports a year, and that's typically just, like, runaway youth that end up returning. He did say, like, in his over 20 years with this sheriff's department, like, this is the first case that he has ever had that has been like this. That's just like unsolved. Not even really like an idea of what could have happened. So while it is unclear exactly what happened to, to, De- to Desimius, we do know that he was last seen leaving his home on January 22nd of 2022. So when you guys are hearing this episode on January 1st, just know we are coming up on the two year anniversary of his disappearance. It is possible that he was seen later in the morning. He may be suffering from mental health issues that may impair his ability to understand what is going on around him. He was just 27 years old at the time he disappeared, and he would be 29 now. He is an African American male standing six foot two. And 180 pounds with black hair and brown eyes. If you have any information about Dissimiya Strong, we encourage you to reach out to the Mississippi Bureau of Investigation at 601-987-1573 or the Sunflower County Sheriff's Office, and you guys can certainly visit that one, at 662-887-2121. Now, the detective did tell me that, like, if they receive any information regarding his disappearance, they will follow up on that. Now, the family does still have that GoFundMe page set up. Um, It is called Please Help Bring DeSimmius Home. We will link that on our social media pages if you guys are interested in checking that out. Dee's family continues to work tirelessly to bring attention and action to his case. One thing that I keep coming back to when I think about my conversations with Latoya and Lamoris is their tone of voice. Like I could hear the hurt and the worry and the frustration in their voices. They so badly want D home and they want to do whatever they can to make that happen. Now, while mental health is often not talked about, it is a very real thing that many people experience. Nearly 20% of adults are experiencing a mental illness which is nearly 50 million Americans. It is not something anyone should ever feel ashamed of. If you are struggling with your mental health and need support, we encourage you to call the SAMHSA hotline at 1-800-662-HELP. So that's going to be 1-800-662-4357. Or you can visit their website at samhsa.gov. Thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We have posted Dee's information and his photo to all of our social medias. We encourage you guys to like, share, more than anything, share that. We need to share that as much as we can. Get that out to as many people as we can, but definitely like, share, comment, all the things. Um, Let's really get that information out to everybody. Now, I do just want to give a few shout outs that we have for several people that played a very key role in making this podcast a reality for Julia and I. First, we cannot say thank you enough to LaToya and Lamora Strong for their willingness to participate in the podcast, to work with us on getting the story out to everybody. Nearly as soon as I reached out to them, they responded and they have just been truly amazing. They have shared information, answered my never-ending questions. They are truly working so hard to find Desimius. Next, we need to give a special thanks to my wonderful mother and her friend. So my mom is Kayla and her friend is Carrie. Um, My mom has continued to push and keep us motivated to get this podcast going. Carrie came in with her marketing knowledge and has made incredible graphics for us, shared all kinds of marketing tips and tricks to keep us on track and sharing the podcast. Um, She has just been so amazing. She has done a ton of background stuff for us um, and we truly appreciate her so much. Um, We have shared her um, business and everything on our socials as well. So we definitely encourage you guys to go and check that out because she is truly amazing. Now, we want to thank everybody for their ongoing support and, you know, all the interactions. Our wonderful friend Michelle was our very first Patreon subscriber um, because she just believes in us so much. She has done some work with us on the podcast as well. Um, So we definitely encourage you guys to check out those episodes. Um, Those were some preseason bonuses that we did for you guys. Um, And we really, truly, we appreciate you guys so much. You guys are checking our socials. You guys are listening every week. And we really, truly could not do this without you guys. So we hope that you guys continue to support us. And we can't wait to share another story next week.
0: Yes, you guys, we are so excited to bring you so many different stories. We have tons of information and stories and cases for you guys to share. So thank you for listening. And we really hope you continue to do that. Thank you guys so much for listening. You can find the source material in the show notes. To show your support, please give us a review on the platform you're listening on. This is the best way to support us, and this is what pushes our podcast out to new listeners.
1: You can subscribe on Patreon. We are on Patreon as Over the Horizon and Far Away. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Over the Horizon and Far Away. If you would like to submit a case for us to cover, you can email us at overthehorizonandfaraway at gmail.com. Or you can find our case submission form on any of our socials. We will see you guys next week. Bye!